It's car con carne. Let's eat in the car. It's car con carne. And welcome to Carcon Carney. I'm James Van Osel. This is episode 631 brought to you by our friends at Siren Records in McHenry. Don't forget, Record Store Day is coming up this weekend. Always a blessed event. Record Store Day, Siren Records in McHenry. So Mapping America is a new book. It's about the incredible story and stunning hand-colored maps and engravings that created the United States. It's a history book. Sure. Uh, it's also an approach to American history a lot of us haven't considered. I'm joined for this episode by the co-authors, Neil Asbury and Professor Jean-Pierre Isbouts. Neil is a rare map collector. He's a global entrepreneur, chief executive of the legacy companies, and the host of the nationally syndicated weekly radio talk show, Neil Asbury's Made in America. He's also received the President's E-Star Export Award and the Export Achievement Award from the U.S. Department of Commerce. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for tonight. That's, that's a lot of information. Uh, Jean-Pierre is a historian, doctoral professor at Fielding Graduate University, and the author of 10 10 National Geographic books. He's directed several programs for Disney, ABC, Hallmark, and the History Channel. So two guys with what sounds like no free time uh, come together to research, compile, and present this, this dense, well-articulated history book. I, I can't, even, can't even imagine, guys, how much time it took to put something like this together. Well, it, it was a labor of love. Uh, it was actually um, uh, my literary manager, Peter Miller, who knew Neil. And uh, Neil is, is, is an incredible person. It's such a privilege to, uh, to call him my friend. Uh, he is one of the leading collectors of maps about America, but other maps as well in the United States, if not the world. And so when Peter put us together, he said something, sparks must fly. And the result is... Uh, this book in which we collaborated, uh, I've traveled, uh, I live in Santa Monica in California and Neil lives in Florida. So I traveled to Florida several times. And when you, when you go into Neil's home, it's like an, a magic box. I mean, every square inch of his house, and it's a huge house, every square inch down to the bathrooms is, is covered with maps worth tens of thousands of dollars. And so, I mean, you would have to drag me out of there kicking and screaming. It's an incredible experience. And we decided to to put that together and, and produce this book. See, let's start there, Neil. I, I'm a collector. I, I grew up, my, my grandmother was an antique collector, and I'd go to antique shows. And I've always been fascinated by collection and acquisition of cool, hard-to-find stuff. I mean, you'll see a bunch of records behind me. Downstairs, you'll find a bunch of comics. What, what lit the fire for you to start collecting maps and, and kind of get into cartography? Yeah, this, uh, I'm often asked that question. Um, and when I was a young man, I graduated university, and I my first real job was in Singapore. And I got a job there as a sales manager for a company. And my job was to travel all of these Asian countries, Middle East uh, countries, and, and sell things. And I was pretty good at it. And, and I quickly established a very nice career. And every place that I went to, um, I really immersed myself in its culture. I loved the culture, you know, all these different countries. It, it was just so amazing to me. I was a young guy 
uh, I was like a kid in a candy store. I mean, I just went from country to country. I was just so immersed in it. I really loved what I was doing. And, and, and I just read, I just read, read, read all about the history of these countries and the people I was meeting with. In fact, I'd go to these countries and I would know more about their history uh, than, than the people I was, I was visiting. And they were very impressed by that. But I was reading a book on the Ottoman Empire. You know, I was traveling to this part of the world and I was reading a book on it. And I was really amazed by the book and about how these boundaries of these countries were being established and reestablished and established again. And all the things that were going on, the currents and the undercurrents that were going on, you know, politically in these countries. And I was in a bookstore in Singapore and, and they had a, a map, uh, an original map from the period of the Ottoman Empire, of the Ottoman Empire. And since I was reading about that and I was immersed in, in that culture and that book in those countries, I acquired, I bought it. It wasn't a, a particularly uh, expensive map. It wasn't a rare map or anything like that, but it, but it, just, it just talked to me. And uh, when I bought it, uh, I kind of got hooked because then I started to buy uh, these antiquarian maps and engravings from all these other places I was visiting. And one thing led to another and I put together this incredible collection of cartography and engravings uh, for the Middle East and the Holy Land and for Asia. And after spending about 20 odd years in Asia, I moved back to the United States. And then I said, wow, the United States has got so much great material out there. I wanna also learn and study that and so writing the book, e even though, you know, it was tough and, you know, as, as Jean-Pierre said correctly, as a labor of love, when I was buying pieces and, and as my career, you know, got more successful and more successful, I was able to buy more important pieces and more important pieces. And some of the, some of these pieces were, were, you know, worth a lot of money. And, and, and then I would find them and they would be worth a lot of money. And then before I would buy them, then I would do a tremendous amount of study about that particular piece and why it was important, both from its cartography as well as the historic aspect of it, and also the art aspect of it. Because ultimately, these 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 maps and engravings are works of art. They're they're wood engravings. They're they're copper engravings. Um, they're beautifully colored. They're all hand done. They're all very different. You know, as 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 they were created by you know the different artists that created them. Um, they, they, they're just absolutely gorgeous, beautiful pieces of art. So by studying them, I became very good about going out and lecturing about them and telling the stories. And just like I'm a talk radio host and I get to talk to all kinds of fascinating people. And so telling stories and, 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 and engaging with people, I just, I, I just love to tell stories. So that was another thing that was a fulfillment for me. They're pieces of art. Uh, they talk to me as an American exporter and someone who's going around the world and learning about all of this as someone who's a student of history and who loves history. Um, the age of discovery, the, the trade was the fuel that really that really drove this whole thing. I was the latest version and incarnation of what an American exporter is in my career. I was following in the footsteps of these great entrepreneurs and these great traders. And just one thing led to another. I, I got these things. I studied them and studied them and studied them. I made good investments. And, and, and that turned out to be lectures and lectures turned out to be to become a book. And uh, so one thing led to another. So and Jean-Pierre, I'm not ignoring you. I swear I'm just going to ask one more map question. I'm going to ask sure. you a, Go ahead. No, no. a, a nerdy uh, collector question. So I, when you collect anything, there 
there's no end to it. You will, you will collect until the day you're no longer on this earth. It's always the, this acquisition and obsession. What are the Holy grails? Like, I, you know, if I, if I go downstairs, look at the comics, I could say, gosh, I sure would love to have amazing fantasy 15, or I'd love to have the Beatles yesterday. And today, are, are there Holy grails you're still chasing? In, in the well, I, I, I don't know about Holy, holy Grails. I'm, well, of course, there's a lot of Holy Grails. And some of these Holy Grails, like the Waltzie Mueller map of, of the, the first map to name America, there's only one copy, and that's in the Library of Congress. And it's worth, you know, it, it'll never be bought. It's it's like how much, I, I don't even know how much you would put a price on that. And, and that was a Holy Grail because it was produced in 1507. And for 400 years, it was lost. Nobody, it was kind of a mythical map. Nobody really nobody really knew if it really existed or not. And then it was written about, but no one had ever seen it. And then finally they found it in a, in a obscure castle in Germany and the Holy grail of maps was actually real. And it was the map that named America. And uh, so there it was in all, the, all, all its glory, the United States then entered into a negotiation for about uh, close to 70, 80 years before it actually was transferred to the United States and now it's in the Library of Congress. But uh, you know, another Holy Grail is right here. It's the Nuremberg Chronicle, uh, published in 1493. Uh, Columbus had left, but he hadn't yet returned. So this is the World is Flat book. The World is Flat book is the first time where you have images together with the written word and you have the world map is in here. The Ptolemaic world map is in here. It's the uh, map that was known during the time of the Romans the world as the Romans existed. And so here it is, the Nuremberg Chronicle, live and in person. Um, so people who are just listening can't see my jaw hitting the ground when you, when you pull that onto the camera. I mean, this is just another another day in the life of Jean-Pierre seeing this stuff. For, but for me, oh my gosh, that, that's a showstopper right there. You know, it's, it's an incredibly important uh, uh, publication, Nuremberg Chronicle. It's sort of, you could pair it to what today we would call a family encyclopedia. Of course, books like that were still only uh, accessible to, to the elite. But the important point that we make in our book is that the printing press, which ultimately made the map possible, the published map possible as the first mass medium of our civilization, the printing press was a unique moment of revolution. It, it allowed knowledge, which was previously the preserve of the church and the elite, the wealthy, the aristocracy, suddenly education, knowledge about the world became accessible to people at large. Literacy rates rose. And, and so everything that we talk about in the book and these beautiful hand-colored maps stems from that incredible technological marvel. Well, the idea of seeing all these old maps was the hook for me. That was the, the, what hooked me, and that's what made me interested in mapping America. I wanted to see this. What's amazing to me, and you, can, you guys can both speak to this, is how consistent the shapes on maps have been long before satellite imagery existed. I'm holding up to the camera. You can't really see it that well. Uh, a map from 1606, and the shapes of North and South America aren't that different now that we have all the, the satellite imagery to back it up. I don't even understand how that was possible back in 1606. Well, of course, uh, that's true. But of course, we should remember that the outlines, the coastal areas were explored, but the interior 
was still very much up to the imagination of the cartographer. And, you know, Neil can tell you a wonderful story about cannibalism in Brazil, which then became a fixture of every map of South America. I had to have a, a few cannibals, you know, stewing the pot. And, uh, you know, but it, 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 it's, it was a, a, a medium of wonder. You know, today um, we, we look at the stars and we look at incredible pictures of Jupiter and the solar system through our satellites. The equivalent of that was maps in the 16th, 17th, 18th century. Whatever was beyond your immediate horizon, whether it was your village, your town, your city, was the map. And so people looked on a map, particularly these beautifully hand-colored maps, with a sense of wonder and amazement, a sense of thrill that is very difficult for us to imagine because we are surrounded by digital facsimile, you know, of television and everything else. Well, we, we have maps in our pockets now. Exactly. Yes. Yes. So, so, and you know, they're, they're one of the things that, that that spurred me to to really get excited about this book when when I was first introduced to Neil is the, the, the review of a, a wonderful book by Rick Atkinson, The British Are Coming, which is a wonderful story about the beginning of the American Revolutionary War. But when the New York Times uh, published a review of that book, it said, you know, it's such a pity, you know, that we don't have any visualization of the American Revolutionary War. And, and I got very upset. And that's when Neil and I decided, we got to write this book. Because maps have so long been ignored by scholarship, by my peers in, in history, as a legitimate and a unique form of looking at those great, those great moments. Well, let's stay on the Revolutionary War for a second. As we're recording this, neighborhoods have only recently stopped lighting off their 4th of July fireworks, celebrating the Declaration of Independence getting adopted by the Continental Congress. The Revolutionary War was greatly influenced by maps. Explain. And Neil, I'll, I'll give that to you for a moment. Well, the, the maps, I will tell you that we, we show a lot of them in the book. And the, the really fascinating maps I, 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 in, the, in the book I, that to me, and some of my personal favorites are the battle plans. The battle plans of, of, of the Battle of, of, of Concord, the Battle of New York, the landing. The largest amphibious landing in North America until today was the British landing in New York during the Revolutionary War. And, uh, you know, the, the Continentals were absolutely routed. I mean, completely routed. Uh, the Battle of Lake Champlain, um, we talk about in our book, um, the first battle of the American Navy, which was a bunch of wooden boats, not even, I would even call them ships, on Lake Champlain, uh, commanded by uh, General Benedict Arnold on the American side, that slowed down General Howe from crossing Lake Champlain, uh, and, and, and he decided to go back to Canada for the winter before he would continue on with the with the campaign. Had he got across Lake Champlain into the Hudson, he would have met a very a very beaten Washington trying to get the Valley Forge, and the Revolutionary War would have been over. So even though. Uh, Benedict Arnold is considered one of the the, the greatest traitor of all all time, uh, the, the 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 most hated American of all time. He saved the revolution twice. Uh, he was the commanding general, the second in command, who developed the battle plan, which is also in our book, um, that beat the British against all odds in Saratoga, and um, nobody thought that that would happen. General Johnny Burgoyne of the British 
surrendered to Horatio Gates and Benedict Arnold, and that really turned the war around. And, and also in our book, you will see the French maps uh, that came out after Saratoga, which actually recognized the United States even before the war was over. The French were very quick to recognize the United States and to name the United States. In our book is the very first map naming the United States, which is actually a French map. So the, the battle plans, uh, and we address several of them. The crossing of the Delaware is, is in our book. Uh, these maps were done in manuscript. That means that British officers on the, on the battlefield would write down sketches of what was going on, how the troops were moving, uh, where the various uh, 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 encampments were, um, the various artillery was, and as it was moving around the battlefield. That was then sent over on a fast ship to, to England, where the royal cartographer would take that and quickly engrave it into copper. And then in color in the troops, the, the Continentals were always colored in blue, the British were always in red, the Hessians were in black, and, and then give it to King George. And, you know, they would discuss what was going on. And then their, their communications back to General Howe were largely determined on what was on these maps, these battle plan maps, which you see them in all their glory uh, in the book. And so you can actually watch the Revolutionary War unfold in real time by looking at these maps and seeing what the players were, 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 were studying as they were planning and plotting their next moves. That's fascinating. And you say it in the, in the beginning of the book, in the prologue, you say that maps give us an unprecedented look at the ambition, struggle and glory that attended the exploration of America and the birth of our nation. That's it. It's almost like looking at the, the Revolutionary War equivalent of film strip reels to piece this story together. That's right. It's like analog versus digital. I, I, I think that's so cool. Uh, the Renaissance was a period of or dedicated to scientific exploration and discovery and expression. You basically explain these bedrock concepts were central to the formation of America or the exploration of America. Yeah, I mean, it, it's important that, that we keep that in mind that, that uh, for us, the creation of America was really the ultimate outcome of the ideals of the Renaissance. And, you know, of course, when people think of the Renaissance, we think of Leonardo da Vinci and Michelangelo and great art. But the, the, the foundation of the Renaissance actually happened much sooner. First, the scholasticism of the 12th century. And then you have the early humanists, Dante, Petrarch, who start to imitate um, uh, Greco-Roman uh, literary forms in their own writing. And of course, they have to do very carefully because at the time, the church still ruled all, you know, right. everything related to human life, human social order uh, was dictated by the church. So what the Renaissance really did is open up that, that hardly contained it, that, that, that repressed spirit, human spirit who wanted to go out and and experience the world on its own terms. Uh, and, and that was only made possible for a number of reasons. I, I won't be able to go into that right now. But the most important one was the political battle in Italy against the church, the Vatican states, and other independent city-states, such as Florence, Tuscany, uh, they were able to assert themselves and told their artists and cartographers and historians and explorers, go out and look at the world through your own eyes and tell us what you see without any fear of winding up at the stake and becoming extra crispy. Uh, and that's really what turned this whole thing around. 
So again, the book is Mapping America. And at, at the close, you, you point to the John Mellish map, which I'll show here at the end. What is this and why is it important? Neil, tell us about the Mellish map. Well, the Mellish map was the, was the prologue of the book. And Mellish, you know, every map in our book, except that map, was of European origin. And the reason that is, is because there just wasn't any maps being produced in the United States during the Revolutionary War and in the early American history. Um, but the Mellish map uh, was something that the our, our original founders were very, very proud of that. It was an American cartographer. Uh, it was engraved in America by American engravers. And the discoveries on that map were all American explorers, Lewis and Clark, Zubalong Pike, um, the exploration of the West uh, by uh, American explorers are included on that map. So it's really American um, science um, exploration. Uh, so all done in America, but very, very important politically is it showed the coast of the United States going from the Atlantic to the Pacific. And up until that point, um, it was, and even for several years after that map was published, it was not clear that that would actually be the outcome. The British, as well as the Spanish, still claimed the west coast of the North American continent. Though the political elite in America, our founding fathers, wanted to show the world through the Mellish map that we are claiming this continent. This is our continent. We're going to defend this continent. We're going to habitate this continent, and you're not going to stop us. Uh, so it was a huge political statement from this young country to say that not only did we win our war and kick the British out of the eastern uh, uh, part of the continent, uh, we are going to claim the entire continent. So important that uh, Thomas Jefferson loved this map. He talks about this map. Whenever anybody would come to visit him in Monticello, he would give them a copy of that map, any European diplomat. So they would take it back to their countries and show their leaders that this young country, the United States, was growing, it was expanding, and that we are, the, the, we are in charge of our own destiny, and our destiny is the entire North American continent. He loved that. Uh, he loved to give that map and watch their expressions when they saw the United States ex extending to the, to, to the Pacific Ocean. John Quincy Adams, you know, was very... Um, and until today, it happens until today, that presidents have their portraits made. And in John Quincy Adams' portrait, he's sitting at his at his desk in his library with the Mellish map in front of him, like he's like he's very proud to have that map, you know, sitting on his desk. I mean, you can't overestimate how important to the young leaders of this country that map was in shaping their views and their ideas. The whole concept of go west, young man, um, was because of that map. You know, the United States needed to populate these areas. And so with the Mellish map claiming the entire continent, we now had to populate the continent. And so Go West, Young Man is a result of the Mellish map and trying to get the expansion of the American people moving west to go out into the unknown, to conquer your fears, to claim the American dream. And, and it's so fundamentally important to our country of, of that exploration and going out into the unknown and pursuing our dreams. And that's what the Mellish map really emboldens. And, and that's the story that it told to our original founders. And that's why they embraced that, that document so much. 
It's fascinating. It, the book is Mapping America. I, I feel like you're the guys, if ever I were enlisting a bar trivia team, you'd be the first two on my draft that I want to have. <laughs> on my team. But that said, I mean, it, you, you have such a deep and passionate knowledge of this stuff. In the process of researching and compiling this book, did you learn anything? Did you learn stuff that surprised you? Were there new facts that bubbled up that were revelations? Oh, of course. I mean, whenever you do an in-depth research of any any subject as a historian, and you look at source documents. I mean, as a historian, I always like to to look for primary sources, as we call it. And of course, the map is a wonderful primary source. But one thing, if I can very briefly uh, express that, my, my big surprise is that for me, the reason why the British failed in the American Revolutionary War is because they brought their expectations of scale that they had developed at home in England with maps of their territory, which of course is much smaller. They brought their expectations of scale to the maps that they saw in the United States. It's very difficult when you've been raised to expect to see a map and translate that into three-dimensional terms to change that. So I think that the psychological element that really defeated the British was the idea that they could subdue this incredible continent, the Eastern seaboard, with mere 45,000 men, and the incredible distances that they had to traverse to move from one battlefield to the next. They completely underestimated what was involved with them in terms of transportation, supply, uh, armament, and that ultimately allowed Washington to conduct his guerrilla warfare and win the war. How about you, Neil? Did you learn anything in, in the process? You know, every time I pick up a document and I dig a little further on any of these documents, I always learn new facts and tidbits. I mean, when you look at these documents, you know, there's just so much to learn. There's just so much going on historically and how they're naming places and where do they get this information? I mean, you take a look at some of this early cartography and they've only really explored the coastline, but yet there's all of these places that are being named and these rivers and these mountains and everything on the interior of these continents it's all hearsay. It's all hearsay. And the myths and the things that they thought was there that was never there. El Dorado, the city of gold. I mean, you see it on these maps that they actually placed it. Um, Sir Walter Riley, I mean, he was looking for El Dorado when he ran into that Spanish outpost that actually led to his his execution um, um, by King James in um in 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 London in, in England when at the Tower of London. But all of those myths and all those things and those stories that you've heard about, you know, are all contained on these maps. So the the further you dig, the further you look, you think that you really understand that, oh wow, I got that, I got that down. You find out that there's places and things there that's going on that is still much deeper than what you originally thought them to be. I I don't I I, I it's infinite it's infinite. I mean it's yeah. not like you could take one you know set of documents or one period of time and say that you really understand everything that they were doing i mean the the, the amount of knowledge that was being transferred or lack of knowledge in the myths that was being transferred and how deep that goes is just is 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 so is so incredible and and the final thing if i may say james is that we're, we're grateful to our publishers apollo publishers because we all know how expensive it is to produce a hardcover, fully illustrated book the, this day and age. This is gorgeous. Times. This is a gorgeous book. And it's all published and printed in America and uh, for at a price point of $26.99. I don't know how they did it, but we are deeply grateful to Apollo for 
allowing us to write this fully illustrated color book uh, at that price point. It, it's, it's really great. So it, this is a, a fascinating read. And just looking at history through maps, it, it never would have it's just something. This was a new concept to me. And it, this is an eye-opening book. And this conversation has been eye-opening as well. Go, yes, young, or go West, young man. That's going to stay with me. I wonder, guys, and I'm sure you have opinions on this. I wonder if the nuance of reading about history, studying history, gets somewhat lost in the internet age where people formulate opinions based on headlines they see scrolling past. Is, is this a lost passion? Is this something we can, as a society, do better with? Is- no, I think that that's one of the reasons why we think and we, we hope that the book will resonate with, with younger readers because it's all about visualization, isn't it? I mean, I'm a filmmaker. I know how important it is to, to visualize. I mean, writing a script is easy. Visualizing it in a way that's compelling is hard. And these cartographers had that down. I mean, they knew how to thrill an audience to capture your your attention with with monsters and beautiful cartouches all in color. I mean, this is why I think this is a story about the origins of America in a way that's never been told because it's all visual. It's all visual. And that's why uh, Neil and I hope that, that it will really resonate with an entirely new form of audience that maybe had not really thought about the origins of America before. What do you think? I mean, Neil, as a radio host, you probably see this a lot. I mean, we live in a social media age where opinions are formulated based on three second experiences with what people they what people see on their phones. This is this is a step in the right direction, clearly. Yeah, you're right. And like you say, I mean, and if you take it a step further, radio, you take it to cable television and it's all sound bites. I mean, people talk in sound bites, right? I mean, people talk in sound bites. At least with talk radio, we can develop our thoughts a little bit more clearly and, and, and more completely. But, you know, American culture has gotten to be just distilled down to talking in sound bites. And, yeah. and I think people's knowledge is, is based on the length of a sound bite. I mean, how, how far can you go into that? I mean, we're talking about very complex um, issues in our country today, but people just don't have the patience in order to really educate themselves about, you know, what, what they should be thinking about. It's, it's just all these sound bites. It's all these sound bites. Everybody wants to be entertained, you know, just very quick sound bites. That's it. And can you imagine if the sound bite or the headline of this was Neil Asbury shows off comma is proud of flat earth map. That's, <laughs> that's the yeah. takeaway. Yeah. That, that's, that's the way things that's work. A right now. Version. That's right. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. Uh, gentlemen, this is a fascinating, gorgeous book. I, I I'm, I'm awed by the work you did. I, I'm awed by, the information you shared. Congratulations on it. Thank you so much, James. Thank you. Thank you, James.